Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. She's not in the mood, people. Oh, my God. She's not in the mood. She's not in the mood. Okay. Yeah, and your fish literally saw me walk in, and it was like, swim. oh, there he is again. He's like swimming back and forth. He's like, bird, bird. Or he, he could also be looking at the pegdolls. Mm, no, he's... Move them. No, he saw me walk in, and he was all active, and he was like, give me some food, please. Betas are crazy. They're so smart. They're crazy. Okay, They're crazy. Okay. A series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Book the... You think we're on the fifth book? Well, I'm used to saying the fourth. Oh, book the fourth. What? Okay, no, we're on the tenth. Oh. Yeah, let's do this. The slippery slope. Chapter two. Violet took one last look over the misty peak, then when then reached down to put one of the heavy coats that she had taken from the caravan on. Take one of these coats, she said to her brother. It's cold out here, and it's likely to get even colder. The headquarters are supposed to be very high up in the mountains. By the time we get up there, we'll probably be wearing every stitch of clothing. But how are we going to get there, Klaus said. We're nowhere near the Valley of Four Drafts, and the caravan is destroyed. Well, let's take a moment to see what we have. Violet said, I might be able to construct something from the items we managed to take. I hope so, Klaus said. Sunny is getting further and further away. We'll never catch up with her and that's without some sort of vehicle. Klaus spread out the items from the caravan and put on one of the coats while Violet picked through the pile. <sighs> picked through the pile. Burp, 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 burp. Oh, but instantly, the two Baudelaires saw that the vehicle was not in the realm of possibility. A phrase here which means could not be made from a small few objects and some articles of clothing previously belonging to per- carnival employees. Violet tied her hair up with a ribbon and frowned down on a few items they had managed to save. In Klaus's pile, there was a pitcher still sticky from the substances that he used to to slow down the a caravan pitcher. wheels. A pitcher. a pitcher, like a pitcher, a glass pit water pitcher. Oh, that's like a pitcher. Not a picture, pitcher. Oh, I think you mean picture. No, as well as Colette's hand mirror, a wool poncho, a sweater that read Caligari Carnival. Violet in. Violet's pile, there was a large bread knife, and a ukulele, well that's helpful, and one more coat. Even though Klaus, who was not mechanically minded like his sister, knew that the materials gathered on the ground were not enough to make something that could make two children go through the Mortmain Mountains. I suppose we can make a spark by rubbing two rocks together, Violet said, looking around the misty countryside for additional inventing materials. Or we could play the ukulele and bang on a pitcher. A loud noise might attract some help. Why, who we hear that, Klaus said, gazing at the gloomy mist. We didn't see any sign of anyone else while we were in the caravan. The way through... The way through Mortmain Mountain seems like a poem I once read about the road less traveled. Did the poem have a happy ending, Violet asked? It was neither happy nor unhappy, Klaus said. It was ambiguous. Well, let's 
gather up the materials and take them with us. Do you know what the word ambiguous means? Yeah. It means up to interpretation. So it's like... I don't even know what interpretation means. It means like when you say, can you grab me a cup of tea? You're like, how much is a cup? And they say, I don't know, a cup, whatever you think a cup is. A cup could mean like eight ounces. could mean a measured cup. It could mean a full cup. So ambiguous means like there's not really like a definitive answer. It's left up to the person's opinion. Does that make sense? Yep. Take them with us, Violet said. You know how I first learned the word ambiguous? Mm. When some rude girl at Starbucks said, oh, what can I get you? And I said, can I please get a tall, half sweet something? It was like a latte. And she was like, how many pumps? It comes with three pumps. So if you want half, do you want two or, or one? And I said, um, half whatever half would be. So I would guess one and a half. And she said, well, that's an ambiguous answer. And I said, is it though? And I didn't know what it meant, but I Googled it and I was like, okay, good response. Like the lady was saying, you can't choose that. Isn't that weird? Like, okay. Well, then just use your pure thinking cap on lady and don't be rude. That's what I said in my head. All right. Take, Take them with us, Violet said. We don't know where to go, and we don't know how to get there. Sure we do, Klaus said. The stricken stream starts at the source of the high mountain, and the winds and winds its way down through the valley of four drafts, where the headquarters are. It's probably not quite the quickest or easiest way to get there. But if we follow the stream up the mountain, it'll take us where we need to go. But that could take days, Violet said. We don't have a map or any food or water the journey for the journey or tents or sleeping bags or any camping equipment. Well, we can use all the clothing as blankets, Klaus said, and we can sleep we can sleep in any shelter that we find. There are quite a few caves on the map that the animals use for hibernation. Two, the two Baudelaires looked at one another and shivered in the chilly breeze. The idea of hiking for hours in these mountains only to sleep in someone else's cave in someone else's clothing might that might contain hibernating animals was not a pleasant one and the siblings wished they had not had taken the road less traveled but instead uh, sorry you guys that's early instead uh they could travel a swift well-heated vehicle such as their sister in their mere moments in mere moments but wishing like wishing like sipping a glass of punch or pulling aside a beard a bearskin rug in order to access a hidden door on the trap, a hidden trap door on the floor is merely a quiet way to spend one's time before the candles are extinguished on one's birthday cake. And the Baudelaire's knew that it could, it would be the best to stop wishing and start their journey. Klaus put one hand, put the hand mirror and the ukulele in his coat pocket and picked picked up the poncho and the pitcher while Violet put the bread knife in her pocket and picked up the sweater and the last coat. And then, with one last look at the tracks the caravan left behind as it toppled over the peak, the two children began to follow the stricken stream. If you've ever traveled a long distance with a family member, then you know that there are times when you feel like talking and times when you feel like being quiet. There's one of the... Whoa. This was one of the quiet times. Violet and Klaus walked up the slopes of the mountain toward the headquarters that they hoped to reach, and... They heard the sound of the mountain winds, a low tune, a low tuneless moan that sounded like somebody blowing on the crop of, top of an empty bottle. The old rough sound of this 
streams fish as they stuck their heads out of the dark, thick waters of the stream, but travelers were in a quiet mood and did not say a word to one another, each lost in their own thoughts. Violet let her mind wander to the time she had spent with her siblings in the village of foul devotees when a mysterious man named Jacques Snicket was murdered and the children were blamed for the crime. They had managed to escape from the prison and rescue their friends Duncan and Isadora Quagmire from Count Olaf's clutches, but then had been separated at the last moment from the two triplets who sailed away in a self-sustaining hot air balloon home built by a man named Hector. Is that how he said his name? Hector? Yeah, okay, Hector. The Baudelaire's had seen Hector or the two Quagmires had since. Wait, none of the bad Baudelaire's had seen Hector or the two Quagmires since, and Violet wondered if they were safe and if they had managed to contact the secret organization that they'd discovered, the organization called VFD. And the Baudelaire's had not yet learned exactly what the organization did or even what the letters stood for. The children thought that the headquarters of the Valley of Four Drafts might prove to be helpful. But now as the eldest Baudelaire trudged alongside the stricken stream, she wondered if she would ever find the answers that she was looking for. Klaus was also thinking about the quagmires, although he was thinking about when the Baudelaire's first met them at Proofrock Preparatory School. Many of the students at the school had been quite mean to the three siblings, particularly a nasty girl named Carmelita Spatz. But Isadora and Duncan had been very kind, and soon the Baudelaire's and the quagmires had become inseparable, a word here which means close friends. One reason for their friendship had been because both sets of children had lost their parents who were close to them. The Baudelaire's had lost their parents, of course, and the Quagmire had not only lost their parents, but their brother, the third Quagmire triplet, whose name was Quigley. Klaus thought about the Quagmire's tragedy and felt a little guilty that one of his own parents might be alive after all. A document of the Baudelaire's had... Wait, a document had... The Baudelaire's had... Whoa. A document the Baudelaire's had found contained a picture of their parents standing with Jacques Snicket and another man with a caption reading, because of the evidence discussed on page nine, experts now suspect that there may be, in fact, a survivor of the fire, but the survivor's whereabouts are unknown. Klaus had this document in his pocket, along with a few other scraps of the Quagbear's note <sighs> notebook, and they had managed to give to they managed to give him that they had managed to give him. Klaus walked beside his older sister, thinking of the puzzled thinking of the puzzle of VFD and how kindly the Quagmires had tried to help them solve the mystery that surrounded them all. He was thinking so hard about these things that when Violet finally broke the silence, it was as if he was walking, waking up from a long, confusing dream. <laughs> Klaus, she said, when, you're in the care, when you, we were in the caravan, you said that you wanted to tell me something before we tried the invention, but I didn't let you. What was it? I don't know, Klaus said. I just wanted to say something... Uh, blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to say in case, well, in case the invention didn't work, he sighed. And he looked up at the sky. I don't remember the last thing I said to Sonny. He said quietly, it must have been when we were in Madame Lulu's tent or maybe outside just before we stepped out of the caravan. Had I known that Count Olaf was going to take her away, I would have tried to say something special. I could have contemplated Wait, did I miss a page? Oh, yeah. I could have contemplated on her hot chocolate that she made or how skillful she was at saying in disguise. You could 
You could tell her those things, Violet said. I hope so, Klaus said. But we're far behind Count Olaf's trope. Troop. But we know that we know where they're going, Violet said, and we know that it won't harm they won't harm a hair on her head. Count Olaf thinks that if Count Olaf thinks that we've perished in a caravan so he needs Sunny to get his hands on our fortune. She's probably unharmed, Klaus agreed, but I'm sure she's very frightened. I hope she knows that we're coming after her. Me too, Violet said, and they walked in silence for a while, interrupted by only the wind and the odd, gurgling noise of the fish. I think those fish are having trouble breathing, Klaus said, pointing to the stream. Something in the water must be making them cough. Maybe the stricken stream isn't always that ugly color, Violet said. But what would turn it? Normal water into that grayish black slime. Iron ore, Klaus said, thoughtfully trying to remember a book on high altitude environments he had read when he was 10, or perhaps clay deposit loosened by an earthquake or another geological event or some sort of pollution. There might be an ink or a licorice factory nearby. Maybe VFD will tell us, Violet said, when we reach the headquarters. Maybe one of our parents will tell us, Klaus said quietly. We shouldn't get our hopes up, Violet said. Even if one of our parents really did survive the fire and the VFD headquarters really are at Valley of Four Drafts, we still don't know that we're going to see one of them alive. We don't We don't see the harm in getting our hope. I don't see the harm in getting our hopes up, Klaus said. We're walking along the damaged stream towards a, a vicious villain in an attempt to rescue our sister and find the headquarters of a secret organization. I could use a little bit of hope right now. Violet stopped in her path. I could use another layer of clothing, she said. It's getting colder. Klaus nodded in agreement and held up the garment he was carrying. Do you want the poncho, he asked, or the sweatshirt? Poncho, if you don't mind, Violet said. After my experience in the House of Freaks, I wish to, I do not wish to advertise the Caligari Carnival. Me either, Klaus said, taking the, taking the lettered sweatshirt from his sister. I think I'll wear it inside out. Rather than take off their coats and expose themselves to the icy winds of Mount Maine Morton's Klaus put it on inside out over his coat, and Violet wore the poncho inside hers, where it hung awkwardly around the two. The, eld- the two elder Baudelaire's looked at one another and had to smile at their ridiculous appearance. These are worse than pinstripe suits, as Miss Squalor gave us, Violet said. Or they're itchy sweaters we wore when we stayed with Mr. Poe, Klaus re- said, referring to the banker who was in charge of the Baudelaire fortune, with whom they had lost touch. <laughs> But at least we'll keep warm. If it gets even colder, we can take turns wearing the extra coat. If one of our parents is at the headquarters, Violet said, he or she might not recognize us underneath all of this clothing. We'll look like two large lumps. The two Baudelaire's looked up at the snow-covered peaks and above them felt a bit dizzy, not only from the height of the mountains, but from all of the questions buzzing around their heads. Could they really reach the valley of four drafts all by themselves? What could the head- What would the headquarters look like? Would VFD be expecting the Baudelaire's? Would Count Olaf have reached the headquarters ahead of them? Would they find Sunny? Would they find their parent, one of their parents? Violet and Klaus looked at one another in silence and shivered in their strange clothes until finally Klaus broke the silence with one more question, which seems the di- which seemed the dizziest one of all. Which parent, he said, do you think is a survivor? Violet opened her mouth to answer, but the moment... At that moment, another question immediately occupied the minds of the elder Baudelaire's. It was a dreadful question, and nearly everyone has found themselves asking 
asking it if they end up wishing they'd never brought up the subject. My brother asked the question once, and the nightmares, and had nightmares for about, had nightmares about it for weeks. An associate of mine asked the question and found himself falling through the air before he could even answer it. It is a question I asked a very long time ago, and in my timid voice, I replied so quickly, putting by by quickly putting a motorcycle helmet on her head and wrapping her body in a red silk cape. The question is, what in the world is that ominous looking cloud of tiny white buzzing objects coming towards us? I'm sorry to tell you that the answer is a swarm, a swarm of well-organized insects known as snow gnats who live in the cold mountain areas and enjoy stinging people for no reason whatsoever. What in the world, Violet said, is that ominous looking cloud of tiny white buzzing objects coming towards us? Klaus looked in the direction of his sister and pointed and frowned. I remember reading something on a book about mountain insect life, but I can't quite recall the details. Try to remember, Violet said, looking at the approaching swarm. The ominous looking cloud of tiny white buzzing objects appeared from a round rocky corner, and from a distance it looked like a bit of beginning of snowfall. But in the but now the snowfall it wait what? Now the snowfall was organizing itself in the shape of an arrow and moving towards the two children, buzzing louder and louder as if they were, uh, wait, louder and louder as if it were annoyed. I think they might be snow gnats, Klaus said. Snow gnats live in the cold mountain areas and have been known to group themselves into well-defined shapes. Violet looked at the approaching arrow to see to, to the waters of the stream into the steep edges of the mountain peaks. I'm glad gnats are harmless, she said. It doesn't look like there's any way to avoid them. Um, there's something else about not, about snow gnats, Klaus said. I'm not quite remembering. The swarm drew closer and closer to the tip of the fluttering arrow and just a few inches from the Baudelaire's nose, noses and then stopped in the path, buzzing angrily. The two siblings stood face to face with the snow gnats for a long, tense a long tenth second, and the gnat at the very tip of the arrow flew directly toward Violet and stung her on the nose. Ow! Violet said. The snow gnat flew back in its place, and the eldest Baudelaire was left rubbing a tiny red mark on her nose. That hurt, she said. It feels like a pin struck me. Oh, I remember now, Class said. Snow gnats are ill-tempered and enjoy stinging people for no reason whatsoever. But Klaus did not get to finish his sentence because the snow, na- snow gnats interrupted and gave a ghastly demonstration of just what he was talking about. Curling lazily around the mountain winds, the arrow twisted and became a large buzzing circle, and the gnats began to spin around the two Baudelaire's like a well-organized, ill-tempered hula hoop. Each gnat was so tiny that the children could not see any of its features, but they could tell as if the insects were smiling nastily. Are the stings poisonous, Violet said? Mildly, Klaus said. We'll be all right if we get stung a few times, but many stings could make us very ill. Ow! One of the gnats had flown up on a string of Klaus's cheek as if it were seeing the middle bottle, as if seeing if the middle bottle layer was fun to hurt. <clears throat> People always say that you don't bother stinging insects, and they won't bother you, Violet said. Ow! That scarcely is ever true, Klaus said, and it certainly is not true with snow gnats. Ow, ow, ow. What should we ow, Violet said. I don't ow, Klaus answered. 
but the moments the Baudelaire's did not have time to even have a half of a conversation, the circle of snow gnats began spinning faster and faster, and the insects spread themselves out, so it looked as if the two siblings were in the middle of a tiny tornado. Then, in a series of maneuvers that must have taken a great deal of rehearsal, the gnats began to sting the Baudelaire's first on the side and then on one another. Violet, shrieking as several gnats stung her chin, shouted shouted as a handful of gnats stung her left ear, and with both Baudelaire's cried out as they tried to wave the gnats away and only to feel the stingers of all their waves in the hands, wa- waving hands. The snow gnats stung to the left and stung to the right. They approached the Baudelaire's from above, making the, making the children duck, and then from below, making the children stand on, to- on tippy-toe in an effort to avoid them. And all the while, the swarm buzzing louder and louder, as if wishing to remind the Baudelaire's of much insects, how much fun the insects were having. Violet and Klaus closed their eyes and stood together, too scared to walk blindly and find themselves falling off a mountain peak or sinking into the waters of the stricken stream. Coat! Klaus managed to shout. Then he spit out a gnat that had flied into his open mouth, hoping in the hopes of his stinging tongue, sting on his tongue. Violet understood at once and grabbed the extra coat and draped it over her and Klaus and herself. Wait, draped it over Klaus and herself like a large, limp umbrella of cloth. The snow gnats buzzed furiously, trying to get inside to continue to sting them, but they had to settle for stinging the Baudelaire's hands as as they held the coat in place. Violet and Klaus looked at one another dimly underneath the coat, wincing at their fingers as they were stinging, as they were stung, and tried to keep walking. We'll never reach the valley of four drafts like this, Violet said, speaking louder as you, louder than usual over the buzzing gnats. How can we stop them, Klaus said. Fire drives them away, Klaus said. In a book I read that the author said, said the smell of smoke can keep a whole swarm at bay. But we can't start a fire under a coat. Ow, said a uh, a snow gnat stung Violet's thumb in a spot that had already been stung just as the Baudelaire's rounded the rocky corner where the swarm had first appealed, appeared. Through a worn spot in the fabric, the Baudelaire's, um, the Baudelaire's could just make out a dark circular hole inside the mountain that must be an entrance to one of the caves, Klaus said. Could we start a fire in there? Maybe, Violet said. Maybe if we... And maybe we'd annoy a hibernating animal. Well, we've already managed to annoy thousands of animals, Klaus said, dropping the pitcher as a gnat stung his wrist. I don't think we have much of a choice. I think that we have to head inside the cave and take our chances. Violet nodded in agreement, but looking looking nervously at the entrance of the cave, taking one's chances is like... Taking one's chances is like taking a bath because sometimes you end up feeling comfortable and warm and sometimes there's... Something terrible lurking around you that you cannot see until it's too late. And you have and you can do nothing else but scream and cling to a plastic duck. But the two Baudelaire's would carefully walk towards the dark circular hole, making sure to stay clear of the nearby edge of the peak and pulling the coat tightly around them so the snow gnats could not find a way inside. But what worried them most was not the height of the peak of the stingers of the gnats, but the chances of waking up of take the chances they were taking as they ducked inside a gloomy entrance of a cave. The two Baudelaire's had never been in a cave before, and of course, as far as I have been able to ascertain, there 
they were never in it again. Even on their way back down the mountain, after they had been reunited with their baby sister and learned a secret of verbal fridge dialogue, and yet, as Violet and Klaus took their chances and walked inside, they found two things in which they were un- in which were unfamiliar. First, the first was fire. As they stood inside the entrance of the cave, the siblings realized at once that there was no need to worry about snow gnats any longer because they could smell fire nearby and even see it at a great distance. Small orange flames towards the back of the cave. Fire, of course, was very familiar to the children from the ashen smell of the remains of the Baudelaire's mansion and the scent of flames would destroy Caligari Carnival. But as the snow gnats formed around and darted away from the cave and the Baudelaire's took another step inside, Violet and Klaus found another familiar thing, a familiar person to be exact, who they had thought who they, had thought they would na- never see again. Hey, you cake sniffers, a voice came from behind the cave. The sound was almost enough to make the two Baudelaire's wish they had taken their chances someplace else. What? Peyton, who is in the cave that called them cake sniffers? Carmelita Spatz? She's on the Mount, Mount Main Morton? Mount, I mean, Mount Mor- uh, Cremonet. I don't even know what that... Yeah, bop 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 Okay, interesting. Okay, okay. 